want to pray, and we're going to get into the message. So, Father, thank you that we're here. And, uh, Father, I ask you to bless the men who are here. It's one thing to be a father biologically, to father a child, but a whole other thing to be a dad. And I pray that in the hearts of every man here today, you would cause them to stir their hearts to be more uh, of the dad that they could be loving and concerned and gentle. And, Lord, I, I pray for all of the men here that you would build a firm foundation. Father, that we would be built up in you, that you would strengthen them with courage and resolve. Uh, I pray your blessing over them. Uh, Father, that you would cause men to leave this place with renewed hearts, not only them, but for everyone, in a new passion for you. Uh, and Father, for every uh, man here, that uh, they would yearn to be your men. And Father, they would stand in their generation and culture and do what is right. And that their kids would rise up one day and say, my dad was a great dad. And I pray that you do this and you do more. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed, saying, so... I love that we're all here today on Father's Day, and I recognize some people are guests. I recognize that kind of in a spiritually, not everybody's at the same place. Some people are checking out church. Some are new to church. Some are veterans, been around uh, for decades. But I want to talk about for just a moment, just a moment, my hope and my dream for every man. My hope and my dream uh, is this, is that you would have a real, in a growing, genuine, and honest relationship with God in Christ, which really is God's design for every single man that you would know God. Paul the Apostle said that I might know him, and that is my prayer, my hope, my dream for you. My hope and my dream for every man here is that if you have children, uh, and you should if you are a dad, but you, maybe you're a man and you, you don't have children, but if you have children, that you would, you would point them to Jesus. All you can do is point them. They make their own decisions. But that you would point your children to Christ. And then also as part of that, that you would point your children to the Scriptures. And that uh, even texting. I've got three boys. I text them pretty much every week. Uh, and I'll text them Scripture. And so, uh, but to be dads then who love their Bibles and dads who adorn the loving of their Bibles with obedient hearts. So what I want to do today is two things. I want to do two things today. I have two things for you. Number one is, I believe that God's put it in the heart of not only men, but of people to, to be great. And I want to talk about what that process looks like there, because God wants to do great things in, in our lives there. It's not a rah-rah message or anything like that. But I want to give you three takeaways, specific takeaways of what that looks like. I'm going to lean into the men on this, but it really is for everybody. And then the other thing that I want to do here is I want to begin by honoring three men in my own life. Three men that have shaped my life. Three men that I could say that if it wasn't for them, I, 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 wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I don't think I would be here. So when I talk about them, there are principles here uh, for all of us. I'm going to talk about their lives. I'm going to draw principles from their lives that you could apply to your own life. Uh, watch, friends, because there's a transference of the values of each generation. So there's a greater principle at work here. So everyone look at the screen here. Everyone looking at the screen with me. Okay, generation after generation stands in awe of your work. In other words, one generation is in awe. They pass that down, watch. And each one then tells stories 
of your mighty acts. Well, that's what I want to do today. I want to tell some stories by honoring three men in my life that have shaped, uh, shaped my life here. And hopefully there'll be things that could inspire you by their example. I want to tell some stories that also um, underscore what really is the spiritual DNA uh, inside of me and by, by virtue of that, of this church and where it, where it originated from. The first one I want to begin with is my dad. My dad died years ago, brain cancer. He was known as Dick Collins, Richard Dick Collins. And this is my dad when he's a young man right there, uh, athlete, Mount, Mount San Antonio Junior College. So uh, then here he is uh, as a young man. On his uh, left, there's a young whippersnapper by the name of Hot Rod who happens to be speaking today. Yeah, okay. So there we are. There I am with my dad. That's our dog, Charlie. There. There's my dad as a young man. This is my dad now uh, as an adult here. It's my, my dad, and uh, I love my dad so much. I want to talk about my dad because my, my, dad's, my dad's thumbprint is everywhere on my life. His example has been uh, inescapable to me. I, I'm going to spend the most time on my dad, uh, so don't worry. We're not going to be here till like noon, but it's going to be a little bit on my dad, and then I'm going to go quickly on the, on the next two and the other points here. But my dad taught me a lot of things, and one of the things, and your dad taught you, but uh, it's Father's Day, and, and I'm speaking here. So my dad, one of the things that I learned from my dad was just an absolutely amazing attitude. An attitude where in my lifetime, I never heard my dad complain one time. Six months of brain cancer, never heard him complain. Rubbed at gunpoint, never heard him complain. Never heard my dad complain in my lifetime. So one of the things that he would talk to me about it was, was attitude. Uh, and, uh, and you can have the right kind of attitude. And my dad taught me this. He taught me that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to what happens to you. Because how many people know you don't, have any, you don't have any choice over just some things that happen, nothing you can do about it, but you have absolute control and a choice about how you're going to react here. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.10, and we have lots of scriptures that we're going to look at this morning, but Paul said this, watch, look at his attitude. I was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, nothing I could do about that, yet making many rich, having nothing, nothing I could do about that, and yet possessing all things. And so sorrowful, poor, having nothing, yet, look at that. Look at that. Can everybody say together, one, two, three, yet? One, two, three, yet? So watch this. So Paul had the attitude, my dad had the attitude, that when life gave them a lemon, they, they saw that there was lemonade on the other side of that lemon there. It wasn't just complaining about the lemon. You know, the children of Israel were like that and, and, uh, and, it's, and uh, legendary for their complaining here. But attitude is a choice. That's what I want to make clear here. In fact, when Paul wrote the church at Philippi, could have been like he was writing the church at Sanctuary in Calamasa, and said, you have to have, you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And then he shows the kind of attitude that Christ had there. And so watch, an attitude can be who you are, be part of who a church is, part of like a DNA of an individual, could be DNA of a church. How is that? You choose to have a godly attitude. You choose to live a life of worship. That's a, that's a perpetual attitude. It's an attitude of choosing then to uh, acknowledge 
who he is in worship and all that he has done with all that you are. See, generosity is an attitude. Praising God is an attitude. Learning from your mistakes is an attitude. Contentment is an attitude. Paul would also say to the church of Philippi, I've learned. They weren't born this way, but I've learned in whatever state I'm in, whatever the circumstances, I have learned to be, what does the Bible say? Content. And so you can choose the kind of attitude that you want to have. Watch this. The Apostle Paul, they said to him, hey, you, you just stop your preaching. We don't hear about your preaching no more. You stop your preaching. Oh, we're going to take your head off. The Apostle Paul was like this, yeah. You want to know what I think? Here's my attitude. My attitude that for me to live is Christ. And to die would only be gain. I don't know even which one is better here. You can settle the dilemma for me. Go ahead. Take my head off because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And everyone, watch friends, everyone can possess the right kind of attitude. And I hope that for this church, we have a, an attitude that I've been talking about here. Another thing that my dad was full of was full of affirmation. And he would say to me over and over again, Ron, I know you could do it. When I went off to college, he said, Ron, I know that whatever school you, because I had to pick between some schools, I know whatever school you pick, that you are going to be successful. Rod, I know. And, uh, and he just had a way of, of, of affirming me. And so, and words of encouragement that would always build me up. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, it says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. In other words, the tongue has, has the power within it to speak words of life and also words that can bring death to relationships and, and people here. And so my dad then saw the best in everybody. That's how I want us to be. That's how I want this church to be. I'm calling upon you to do what I'm going to talk about right now, that this is our spiritual DNA, that we are a church that puts a 10 on everybody that walks through the doors. I put a 10 on every single one of you. And I know that you're a 10 at something. I know that you are. And so I have no doubt, I'm absolutely convinced. Uh, and so every person that walks in the doors, they're a 10. And you need to see them that way. You need to see them not as they are, but as they could be. And so uh, like uh, Judges chapter 4, Gideon, the angel of the Lord says, hey, like you, you look like a wimp on the outside. Everybody would think you're a wimp, but I see in you a mighty warrior. And the angel of the Lord saw Gideon not as he was, but as he could be. That's how we need to be. You see people not as they are, but as they could be. I, have, I did this with my sons. This was with one of my sons. I'm not going to say his name, but I would tell him, I would say, hey, every time, Every, when he was a little guy, six, seven years old, every single time you step on the soccer field, you are the best player on the field. Every time you step on the field, you are the best. And, uh, and he began to believe that and began to, to act like that. And so you see people not as they are, but as they, they could be. Now, I didn't say that to the other two because that wouldn't have been true of them, but it was true of him. And here's the bottom line. There's gold in everybody. There's gold in everybody. So you got to see the gold, and you mine out the gold in them. Believe the best in people. It's our spiritual DNA. It's who we are as a church. Next thing is my dad taught me the value of people. Taught me the value. Taught me to value people and love people and, and, uh, uh, and to see um, what the value that was inside of them. 
He taught me hospitality, and I'm almost done. Taught me hospitality. My dad was a professional cook, started 20 restaurants. So I spent my whole life watching my dad do hospitality. My, my entire life, since I was a little guy, watched and observed him. In fact, how important is hospitality? Here's how important hospitality is. In 1 Timothy 3, Titus says, a, a church leader must be hospitable. That's how much importance and value God puts on hospitality that a church leader, an elder, got to be hospitable. My dad taught me generosity. Generosity, again, is an attitude to recognize that spiritually we don't own anything. Everything has been given to us, so we're just managers, and so uh, uh, God owns it all. But, but generosity is part of our spiritual uh, DNA as a church. The Bible says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. What does it say? Treasures in heaven. So we are a store up treasures in heaven kind of church. We're going to need to exercise that because uh, we're going to be uh, raising the funds to, to move to the ranch. And so this is our DNA. Number two, the person that inspired me in my lifetime was Dr. John, known as Mac McGregor. Known as Mac McGregor. He's one of the great missionaries that has ever lived in history, though you haven't heard of him. So you heard of Jim Elliott? How many people heard of Jim Elliott? His, his wife wrote Through Gates of Splendor, Elizabeth Elliott, famous uh, missionary who has lost his life. There's a movie on his life, lost his life uh, in 1956 by the Auka Indians that killed him. Mac was there. Mac was his, was his contemporary. Mac was almost killed by the, by the Shububu Indians, just like Jim Elliott. But uh, anyway, so Mac was at 42 years old. Think about it. 42 years old. He went to seminary, was a seminary graduate in Wales. He went to medical school in England. He went to dental school in the UK. He became a naval architect. At 42 years old, single, left it all, all of the treasures that he could have gotten, being a doctor, a dentist, theologian, naval architect, goes into the jungle and for 26 years, is in Peru on the Amazon River ministering to the, the Indian groups, largely the Shibubu Indians there. So Mac was my mentor. I met him after he exited uh, the Amazon there, and he inspired me to walk in his footsteps. And I spent 20 years talking to him. We would talk till we would drop or fall asleep there. And uh, in my early 20s, I'm walking behind Mac and uh, some other, to me, they were legendary men. And I'm walking about from here to, they were about where the doors are there. And I'm walking behind them. I'm, I'm 22. And I was looking at them. I'm thinking about their lives. And, 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 I'll, and, and I stopped there and I was arrested. I can remember like it was yesterday. And I said, I want to be like them. I want to be like those men. And for the, for the rest of my life, I've just been living out that example, trying to be like those men, like John McGregor. And Mac taught me to be content with whatever, whatever I have in life taught me to be content. He would often say, I can remember him saying many times, he said, don't set your mind on, on, on earthly things, or don't, don't set your mind on earthly things. Set your mind on heavenly things. Don't, don't be enamored with the things on earth. And he modeled that for me, modeled contentment. He modeled humility here. So, and I want to say this, he was my spiritual father. And watch this. To all of you that don't have biological kids, I feel this is a word, the word of the Lord for you. All you who don't have biological kids. Mac didn't have biological kids. And I was his son. I was his spiritual 
son. And he poured everything he had into me. And I'm here largely because of Mac. And I owe everything to him. And he, he was a spiritual father. But listen, you may not have biological kids, but you can have spiritual children, men and women. Even now, maybe you have biological kids, but you can, you can influence their lives as Mac influenced my life. Thirdly, the last one, and I will be done with this, of men that have, have been fathers to me. One was Dr. Kenton F. Bishore. He was the founder of World Bible Society, a, a brilliant scholar. And then his son, Kenton Bishore, who was a brilliant pastor, the pastor emeritus of uh, Mariner's Church in Irvine, one of the great churches in America. And so here's Kenton here, uh, right here. Here's Kenton. I uh, love Kenton. That's in Israel. Uh, the reason we're going, the reason our, we're going to Israel, because of Kenton. When I got there, he said, "Rod, you know you're taking a group to Israel." I said, "You didn't? I didn't know that uh, when I was invited, uh, but now I did." He said, "Yeah, you're 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 taking a group to Israel because of Kenton that we're going. If it wasn't for Kenton, we wouldn't be going to Israel." He said, "I'm going to train you how, and you're going to take you're going to take your church." I said, "Okay, uh, I'm in." So, uh, so here's Kenton on the, in the Jordan River uh, baptizing me, and uh, and so. I uh, love Kenton with all my heart, and Kenton is a, was a, is a great man and a great, great pastor, but uh, Kenton has taught me many things. Uh, his dad also taught me, uh, Dr. Kenton, about affirmation. Uh, Kenton has mentored me for probably 10 years or so uh, about leadership and uh, mentoring, and, um, and I feel uh, an incredibly great privilege that I have no excuse. I've, I've, I've no excuse as a pastor, because I've been mentored by one of America's greatest pastors in Kenton, who was also mentored by one of the greatest pastors of the last century, John Stott. Stott mentored him. Kenton has mentored me. I have no excuses. Uh, and so, uh, and Kenton, in his humility, almost every time I get together with him every month with a bunch of other guys, and, and he mentors a lot of the pastors of the largest churches in Southern California, of which I was to name them, uh, you, would know, you would know all the churches. He mentors those leaders today. And so, but he's so dang humble that he, uh, he like, he cries in every meeting. I don't know that there's ever a meeting that he's so tender and, and he's ferocious on one hand, but so tender on the other that, that he'll, he'll just start crying about whatever the subject is and, uh, uh, and tearing up about that. And, uh, and I see in him this uh, humble, just such a humble guy. I mean, I, I stay over his house, and, and I'm, just, I'm with him behind the scenes to, to know what kind of person he is. But he's taught me how to think and understand the role of a, of a pastor there. And I get it. You may be sitting here and think, yeah, that was fine for you. But I don't get that guy. I don't get that missionary. And I don't get your dad. There's a principle at play here that I, that I want to bring out to you because uh, Paul writes another church, a church at Corinth, and watch what he says here. Watch, watch. Look at this. Next verse, next verse. He says, look, you don't have many fathers. And some of you, that may be your story. Like, I, I don't have many fathers, spiritual fathers, exemplary fathers, uh, mentor fathers, natural fathers. I don't have that. But Paul says, look, I became your father. You see the principle at play there? In a community, a church community, it's more than Sunday morning. This is great, you know, enjoy the bacon and the car show and all that. But it's more than that. I mean, this essentially is a box that we've gathered in, in another tent box. But after that, we leave. A church is meant to be so much more than this. And watch, 
this dynamic here happens, but it doesn't have time necessarily to happen just right here. Paul said, I became your father through the gospel. And I can tell you that through the community of the church, there's many women that have become my mother. Do you know that story? I didn't really have a normal mom, but I had unbelievable women that adopted me throughout my lifetime because of this principle at play here. And that is that there is a community, but it's more than just community. We talk about, oh, church is a biblical community. Yeah, it is, but it's more than that. It's an adoptive community. It's a community where adults are adopting youth, youth are adopting adults here. And so we, all of us here are a part, if you're part of the church, okay, of an adoptive community. And so a relational connection here. So I want us to think about that. I'm going to talk about, talk about it more. But Malachi 4.6, Old Testament, before Jesus comes on the scene, says this. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, and otherwise, otherwise, and there has been an otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. And I believe that we are seeing the striking of the land of America, uh, our country right now. And so... Uh, but there are mentor dads, standing dads, biological dads, spiritual dads uh, who are there, but you got to buy into the, the adoptive community for it to come to expression. So I'm done talking about my, uh, the dads in my life who have influenced me that I wanted to honor. Hope you enjoyed that. But now what I want to do is I want to pivot. I want to talk about the three things that you need in your life here on Father's Day. This relates to everybody here. But God has a process that he wants us to go through. And I'm going to talk about three parts of that process. It's not all inclusive. It's just three for Father's Day that God wants us to go through. So uh, what are you going to do with these three things? I got three takeaways that for you. Now, having said that, having talked about these people, men in my life here, perhaps you've been disappointed by your past. Perhaps relationally, you've, you've, you've been wounded. I know some of your stories, and I can look at you, and I know that that is true of many of you. You've been wounded relationally. You've been wounded by a father, maybe as a, a coach, a father figure, a teacher, but, but you carry within you relational wounds, and, and that's just the reality. And so what I want to say, number one here, is that what we have to do in the process, we have to allow God into the equation of our lives there to heal the past, that the past could be actually past, and you're not always living in the reality of, of your past there. So why is that important? Well, if you don't, let me tell what's going to happen. You're going to put a wall up around your heart, and you put that wall up that keeps people from coming in here because you never want that to happen again there. And, uh, but what happens is, as it's you, then you also will never be able to receive the best that God has for you when you have that wall up. And this is why, as a church, we offer more than Sunday mornings. I think Sunday mornings is one of the best things that we do, but we offer more than this. So that you could have a church experience then, and I'm imploring you to, to buy into here, because you need more. You need, you need more, this is the bottom line. And uh, we need the power of these words right here. I want you to read, read these. Uh, James, half-brother of Jesus, said this. Watch this. Everybody look on the screen. Your eyes making contact. Therefore, watch, confess your sins. Confess means to say the same thing. 
homologeo, to say what God is saying. To be honest, just be just be honest. Say the things what God sees about your life. You just say that, okay? Say the same things, okay? Confess your sins to who? To God? Okay, he'll forgive you, but watch. Now in this context, confess your sins to each other. I wonder how many people really do that. It doesn't really happen on Sunday mornings. So where's it going to happen? You got to find a circle. You got to find community watch. Confess your sins to each other and, uh, and pray for each other. So, so watch. Since so you'll be what? You, everybody say together what? What happened? You'll be what? Healed. One, two, three. You're confessing to one another. Praying for one another. And then watch. You're conf- I confess to you, but, but I'm healed. See the dynamic? See, watch. The dynamic only happens in community. Doesn't happen when you're sitting in rows. Happens when you're you're face to face. That's why the church is a community, and you gotta buy into it. You gotta buy into community because that's what the the church is. Yeah, it's a gospel community. It is. It's a it's a relational adoptive community, and so this is the reality that that's how you're healed. And so God has a way for healing, but you gotta go to God's people for healing there. So you tell your story, you confess things there, and, and, uh, and that way you can begin to have great relationships uh, as part of a family of God there. Things can be turned around. Psalm 68, watch this. Look who God is. God working behind that in the community. Watch. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, a God in his holy dwelling. Watch. God sets the lonely in families. How many people do you know that are lonely? How many people coming out of COVID? Lonely, 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 lonely. It is a dominant characteristic that I see in people. It's loneliness after COVID. Talk to people all the time, every day. It is lonely. There it is. Watch. Watch. God in his holy dwelling. Like, watch. He gets, God sets the, the, the lonely in families. Community, adoptive family. There it is. That's the answer to your loneliness. And so you need more we need Sunday morning. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't minimize the gathering of, of people together. We need Sunday mornings, but watch. It doesn't stop there. You got to get connected in community as the next step. You need a spiritual family here. You need to experience small groups. I was talking to somebody uh, just this week, a couple, couple days ago, actually, and they, they were telling me about that. I said, tell me about your church experience. I'm, I'm curious. I love to ask that question. Tell me about your church experience. I said, how long were you at that church? 20 years. And how was it? I never felt really connected. I said, 20 years. I said, I'm trying to get my mind around that. And they helped me get my mind around that. And so uh, 20 years, they said, and I've been in sanctuary for two years. And I said, and? I feel more connected than ever. More than 20 years at the other, yeah, more connected because the people and the kind of the culture and the church feel more connected. So see, there's the opportunity for that. But if you get in a group and start sharing what's going on in your life, you get set in a, in a family. And so we're going to talk about that more coming out of, out of the summer. So number one there, number one, you got to be healed. Number two is, it says, be a father. Let me explain that. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking just to the fathers. I'm not talking about just to the men. I'm not talking just to the older men or, or uh, the youngers. I'm talking to everybody here. Uh, that there's a principle at play here. There's a principle at play here. And here is the principle. That sound effect was on purpose, by the way. That was on purpose, just to really get your attention there. And so 
where we take our lives, watch, watch, and we pour them into people intentionally. Are you listening to me? It's developing an adoptive community mindset. I can't adopt all the youth in this church, but I'm going to adopt somebody. I'll adopt people. I could tell you multiple stories, people that I've adopted over the years and how that's gone. And it is worth it. I will tell you it is worth it. So uh, the reality is this. The reality in life is this. In relationships is this. Watch. Here it is in Galatians 6. Seven. You've heard, if you've been around church, you've heard this. It says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. What a person reaps, they will sow. Okay? You will reap what you sow. Negatively and positively. It's not all negative. It's not all like, yeah, you do, you know, X, Y, and Z. and rah. No, it, it's true also of the positive things you do. When you sow into somebody's life relationally, you're going to reap of that there. And so it's to sowing and reaping principle. It's true of your own life. Like you might say, oh, I'm lonely. Well, the Bible says if you show yourself to be friendly, you'll have friends. Maybe you need to show yourself friendly. Well, I'm not, you know, I, I, don't feel, I don't feel loved. Maybe you need to sow some love and you'll receive that back. It's a principle of life. I'm reminding you of that. To young adults, students, men, women, moms, couples, everybody, everybody needs a, a community, a smaller community than this. Just what I'm saying is I'm imploring you, find your community. I'm, and I'm charging the women. As, mother, as Father's Day, I want to charge the women. I want to charge you to, I mean, you're, you're wired up to be loving and nurturing and caring, and that's who you are. You know, guys, aren't, guys aren't just like that naturally, but that's who you, you are there. And I want, to, I want to encourage you to take that and, and find somebody to influence and start, start adopting them. Adopt a young adult. Adopt a student. You see one, is, adopt them. Get to know them. Ask them out to lunch there. And start building this community. My last point is, some of us here, and I, uh, watching online and all, uh, uh, I've talked about relational wounds uh, that happen with dads. Talked about what can happen, the wedge and all that. But my hope and my, as we leave here today, my last point is this. Take home point number three. That you relate to God as Father. You know, I get it on one hand, people are going to go, that is so stinking basic. Can you get to the deep stuff? Okay, I will get to the deep stuff here, but you got to realize uh, the depth of what is behind this. Not everyone has had the same experience with their earthly fathers. Some have beautiful memories, and some have awful memories. And even if your, your father's story felt Maybe like in some of you, I know in a group like this, some of it, the words abandoned were written over your story, right? Abandoned why? How, how did they abandon you? They could have abandoned you through, through many different things. It could have been through death. could have been through divorce. could have been through drugs. could have been through uh, dysfunction. Uh, they deserted you. They, they were distracted. Whatever, but you, you were abandoned. And that abandonment sense can kind of play over and come to expression like as is God like that? Is God going to abandon? Can I, can I trust him? And so the reality is, is that for many people, not all people, for many people, and some here, is that you can have a little bit of baggage there, a little bit of father baggage, can spill over then how you relate to God. So the reason why many people then, they, they can hold back, 
Can I really trust God? Is he going to be there for me? And unconsciously think that God is like shades of like my earthly father, but he's not. Maybe your earthly father was unreliable, didn't support you. Think like, well, that, that's, is God like that? There's a, there's a little small voice inside you that says, that's what God is like there. And yet the Bible says this, watch, this is so beautiful. This is beautiful. Look at this, Psalm 27. Look at this. Let's read it all together on the count of three. One, two, three. Even if my father and mother abandon me, watch, the Lord will hold me close. You see, God's not like your parents there. He'll love you closely there, hold you closely. And so God is a perfect heavenly father. You know, in our family full of dysfunction, but God's not dysfunctional. He's like, he is the only perfect heavenly father that you will ever know. God makes you his son and his daughter, and he's a shepherd, and he leads you, covers you here. And so and because he was forsaken, you, you'll never be forsaken. And so what he does is he, in, he invites you to embrace God as a, as a perfect father and to, to kind of push through and let your mind be renewed in the reality of Scripture that God is not just a bigger version of your earthly father there. And so he's, you're chosen. Remember the song? You're chosen. You're forgiven. And I am who you say I am. And you were bought with a price. And you were searched after. And you were paid for. And you were bought. And you're a loved daughter and a loved son. And God's not just like some celestial leader of an earthly religious organization. He is Father. And so when, when that grasps the, the reality of of everything within you, it, it changes how you live. And if we can reflect on the power of this verse, the next one, Romans 8, 15, God's spirit, watch this, goes where only a spirit can go and does where only a spirit can do. God's spirit touches our spirits, okay? Makes us come alive and confirms who we really are. I am who you say I am. And so we know who he is, and we know who we are. And he is father, and we are his children from the Message Bible. God then is a personal God who creates us with the capacity to have relationship with him, and not just relationship, but intimate, close, nothing that's ever come down the pike imaginable relationship with Almighty God. God hears you when you cry to him, and his Holy Spirit is within you. And he's giving, there's giving you direction for every tumultuous turning point, every drama, every dilemma. There's God giving you through Scripture a still small voice for you, not against you there. Grace at every turn there, an anchor for every storm. There's no one like our God. And so God touches our spirits, confirms who we are, that we are the children of God. It is so beautiful, friends, here. And my deepest prayer is that you would know God more intimately, like the Apostle Paul said, after saying all the things that he'd done, I'm a, 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 a Pharisee of Pharisees concerning the law. I was perfect. You know, it's touching the law. I was above reproach, all of that. He says, but those things that were gained in me, I now count as lost for Christ. I count all things but lost 
when I compare them to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but rubbish, that I might, what, all of that, like my whole life, rubbish, that I might, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and be made conformable unto his death, that I might know him. And that's my prayer, friends, that we would, we would know God more intimately. And so let him heal your past. And this is what I know to be true. I talked about the process, and I talked about the process that God wants to do in you, and here's what I know. I know that there's incredible good, incredible good inside each one of you. I know that to be true. Incredible good. Incredible um, giftings. Incredible story inside you. I want you to hear on Father's Day that you are loved, that you are valuable. If God had a wallet, we've got a wallet. If God had a wallet, it would have your picture, just you. Like, just you, your picture would be in God's wallet. So God loves you. We have an incredible inheritance in him. So this is my Father's Day talk to you. May you have those men in your life by God's grace and community that would have a positive, godly influence, shaping influence on your life. And I pray for the dads that one day on your final breath, because you will have a final breath, but on your final breath, your kids will rise up and they will call you blessed, like Proverbs 31 says of women. They'll rise up and they'll call you blessed. And they will say, my dad, my dad was a great dad. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your word here this morning on Father's Day. I pray, oh Lord, that you would bless, you would bless all the dads. Bless them, I ask, as only you can. In Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, amen. Let's stand to our feet.